Welcome to Dr. Thoughts, a smart, driven, and fabulous podcast by Drs. Ryan LaValle and Kalia Johnson, where sometimes it's about occupation and sometimes it's just sassy. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Dr. Thoughts with your favorite auntie and your favorite queen. <laughs> yeah, you know, we're we got. <laughs> Love it. Yes, favorite queen. <laughs> okay, so we wanted to do something a little bit different for this episode and give you a little taste of local music from Durham, North Carolina. Um, the artist you heard, their name is Blue Cactus, and the title of the song is Come Clean. And so, um, Dr. Ryan, you are um, familiar with the artists, so would you like to talk about them a little bit and tell us a little bit about the song? Yeah, so this um, these are actually good friends of mine, Steph and Mario. They are Blue Cactus. Um, I don't know if they hail from Durham or Carborough or where they're living at this point when it comes to, you know, their actual, like, music home, um, but they are all over the South and doing wonderful sort of modernized classic country music, but um, they come from Sleepy Cat Records, which is also some good friends of mine doing some great uh, independent um, work and music development here in Carborough. Um, but uh, this particular song, um, we heard them play um, at a friend's birthday party <laughs> um, as sort of a coming out, um, sort of trying out a song. And after we heard it, um, Steph, who, who sort of is the singer in the song, um, talked to us a little bit about what it was about for her. And it was sort of a journey of coming to herself and learning to love herself and doing the things that she needed to do when she had experienced sort of struggle from others and the way that that made her feel and um, wasn't sure about the song in the moment. Um, but afterwards, we sort of both Ben and I, my partner, um, we sort of walked up and we were like, this is like a coming out song for us. Like it spoke to us deeply in that it's sort of the, the words and I encourage everyone to go to Spotify and listen to it. Um, but the words really tell the story of what sort of being part of that identity and having things put on you, having struggles put on you um, and what that does to you and, and sort of the journey you have to go through to learn to love yourself and the, and the things that come from that and the valuable things that come from that. But still, it's a struggle and it's a challenge. And um, so that song just really for me was a conversation starter in a lot of ways with a lot of friends about th that reality of how our struggles teach us and how we 
carry those experiences forward with us. So I thought it was a, a really nice way to introduce this episode um, and sort of the conversation that we hope to have about our identities and our experiences and, and what we do with those in our work and in our, in our lives. I also happen to be in the music video for this song. So check it out. It is Blue Cactus Come Clean on Spotify. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, let's get into it. Today, we're really going to just talk about the things that we've learned and how we apply them in our lives. So in our, you know, personal relationships, our work as practitioners, and how these things sort of emerge in classroom or our research. It's going to get raw and real, I think. <laughs> per usual between us. Um, so yeah, I, we're excited to talk through this and maybe share some stories and, and talk about what our different identities and things have really shaped our lives in a lot of ways um, and how we carry that forward. So Kalia, tell me about uh, an experience that you have, you know, maybe that was you know, a, a time that you go back to or that you've learned a lot or from and you sort of carry forward with you, um, you know, in, in your life that you've learned a lesson from. Wow. Um, you know, it's funny, this question is, has come up quite a bit, um, particularly from students um, when I've done some talks here recently. And one of the things that I keep going back to is like, when, when was the moment I learned I was Black, you know, or learning that Blackness was some something that was an issue or a point of contention in our society. And I'm taken back to this moment in first grade when a classmate is inviting everybody to her home for a pool party. Um, I actually don't remember if it was a birthday or what, but there was invitations for a pool party. Um, I inquired about this pool party and was told that um, you know, I was not going to be invited because they didn't want an oil slick left in the pool, you know, and, you know, at six, seven years old, I'm like, what oil slick, what, you know, not really understanding it, going home <laughs> to talk to my parents about that. I'm like, oh, you know, so-and-so is having a party, but she said I couldn't go because, you know, don't want to have oil in the pool. And I, my mom has some choice words, <laughs> but I also just sort of remember the look on my father's face. So I knew like whatever it was, even in my six, seven year old brain, it wasn't a good thing, but not understanding really what it meant. And so, you know, them having to sit me down to talk about, um, perceptions of Black people, um, and also teaching me that everybody is not your friend. Yeah. You know, um, that was a real sort of eye-opening experience, you know, that first of all, there's sort of these just arbitrary things that are associated with Blackness, like oil, you know, now as an adult, you know, I think about jokes about shea butter <laughs> and those sorts of things, or, 
you know, somebody reaching to touch my hair, but then wiping their hands on their pants because it's like, oh, there's oil in your hair. Just, you know, all of these random, ridiculous, racist um, things that, that have happened. But learning early on that even as I, you know, thinking that I am connecting and building with people who are my friends, um, that even those so-called friends can harbor racist ideas about um, Black people or Blackness. So needless to doing? say, I didn't go to any pool party <laughs> while I was in school. <laughs> and what do you feel like you sort of carry for, like, what do you do with that in your, your everyday life now? I mean, now, the, you know, the way it translates in my adult life is that I am not for everybody and that's okay. Um, you know, there's, um, oh my gosh. And the scholar's name is actually leaving me right now in this moment, but she makes these t-shirts as a black women aren't for everybody, you know? And, and I believe that, you know, being black carries a lot, you know, in great ways, but also some that are, that are burdens, you know, but regardless of all of that, I am everything, but not always to everybody. <laughs> oh, I love that. I am everything, but not everything, not always to everybody. I love mm -hmm. that. That speaks yeah. sort of to the, to the shift that you have to sh sort of see yourself and how you understand yourself in relation to other people. Mm -hmm. the walls mm -hmm. you sometimes have to build to protect yourself and and a lot of that right right so do you sort of have any parallel experiences in your own life like that um yeah I think for me there's there's a couple stories that come to mind um at first just thinking about gender expression and sort of heteronormativity um you know as a as a queer person who didn't know I was queer when I was like seven or eight. I didn't know what that was. I knew, I think at that point that I knew I was different in some way, um, but a very specific moment that I remember um, that, you know, it wasn't his fault necessarily, it was society's fault, but uh, there was a moment when I remember walking up the driveway at my house and the way I was walking, I had my arm sort of up to the side with my rent, my rent, uh, my wrist bent a little bit, and my dad told me to put my arm down, um, and to say like, you know, th that's not the way you should walk. <laughs> mm. That's not the way your body should be in this world. Um, you know, probably out of protection um, and out of concern or whatever. Um, but you know, I think that was one of the first moments that has really stuck in my memory that I had to think about hiding or changing or protecting myself by not being who I was in that moment um, and just allowing my body to move the way that it wants to move. To this day, I still like will find myself if I have my arm up there, I'll, I have to think about it. <laughs> like I, I sometimes do it, want to do it on purpose just to say, you know, like, this is, this is who I am um, and this is the way my body moves. So I don't know that that specifically speaks to like the sexuality part of it all, but sort of the gender expression and how that connects to all of that, I think is what I started to learn about and had to start struggling with 
um, in, in my world. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's like, I immediately think about respectability politics, right? Like how, how is it that we're supposed to show up <laughs> um, in these respectable ways, like ways that digestible for other people, you know? So as a cis male, like, what is that supposed to look like? How, how are you supposed to show up, you know? Um, and queerness being tied to that or not, you know, for me, how black can I show up? Um, and how authentic to Kalia is that? Um, yeah, yeah. Actually, I mean, it's so interesting to think about, like, we've had to bend and flex and figure out so much more mm-hmm. <laughs> than, than people who are, like, who are straight or who are white, like, you know, and, and that's, like, we are flexible, <laughs> probably more flexible yeah. than we should have been, but we, we, can, we can navigate lots of different spaces because of those experiences now, and you know, I can, I can turn off and on sometimes how much I present. Um, and, and that's obviously not true for you. <laughs> um, but I, in, in some ways, I think that we are able to sort of shift. And, and that is a skill that we've had to develop out of sh- mm-hmm. sheer survival need in a lot of ways. Yeah, no, I agree. There's definitely, um, I guess, ways in which I turn, turn it on and turn it off. I do think earlier in my career, I was a bit more concerned about that, um, you know, being told that, you know, always speak with, you know, academic English, you know, or proper English and um, making sure that I dressed a particular way, um, um, even hung out with particular people, you know, as a way to sort of assimilate um, to white spaces, because we understand that OT as a profession is, is white in every way. So being able to be in that space um, safely, but, you know, also just in non, I guess, quote unquote, professional spaces. Um, you know, you and I have had this conversation about, you know, how Black can I show up in the classroom even, like, you know, this idea that, and, and you know, Black women are often referred to as aggressive. Um, Our bodies are sexualized. Um, You know, we're we're supposed to be loud and angry. So does that, is that message also um, sent in a way that I dress? You know, so being very particular about the types of outfits I would wear in the classroom, whether or not to wear red lipstick, because God forbid that's a thing. Yeah, I think it's really like, it's an interesting, like, I mean, obviously we're talking about code switching, (laughs) just Mm -hmm. to name it. Um, But, you know, it's always that conversation of how, because like for me, standing in front of the classroom and coming out, um, I come out on the first day of class, but my, my mirror coming out or you know, moving in certain ways or talking about certain things, sometimes, you know, students might think that that's a political statement, but my, my sheer existence, you know, is political. Right. <laughs> and, and so right. we have to manage that. And it's like, there's, 
it's like you want to hold a space to where a student who disagrees with you or even disagrees with your existence in the way that you're existing still has a space and a place to learn how not to be an asshole. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but at the same time, we're sacrificing some of our own identity and, and way of being so that that student can have that space to do that work with us in some ways. So it's, it's always a struggle in, in so many ways. Yes, the struggle is definitely real. And I like how you frame that, you know, there's there's some sacrificing that occurs in that process. And we and we still do it for student learning. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, that's that's deep. <laughs> what's yeah. um, what's a, a time maybe when you really struggled with um, something like, you know, in your experience or um, you know, in the ways that you've had to live or move through the world that now you look back on and you're like, wow, that struggle was really helpful to me, or I really was able to learn something from that. Hmm. Um, so I, I would say a, a recent, um, and by recent, I mean, just in recent years, um, is learning that all skin folk ain't kin folk <laughs> and and for those who don't understand that saying it's that you know because someone belongs to the same you know has the same racialized group membership doesn't mean that they're always going to be down for the things you're down for so no not all black women are going to be on the same page if you saw the recent interview with stacy dash you know what i'm talking about um <laughs> so um yeah, just being associated with people who you realize um, don't necessarily have the best interests of your shared community in mind, um, having a hard, me having a hard time just reconciling how someone who is Black can also be anti-Black, but also understanding that, you know, the ways that we are socialized in this country is around anti anything that is not white. So it is also possible for, you know, people of all colors to fall into those traps, right? And not um, think about the, the concerns of their own community and having to confront that with somebody who you have a lot of respect and admiration for. And so, um, I don't, I don't know if I call that naivete or what, but not going into relationships with the assumption that we're automatically going to be on the same page. Yeah, I think yeah. that, let's talk about log cabin gaze. <laughs> oh, like what's that mean? <laughs> log cabin gaze. I mean, I, you know, this is, I'm not speaking in this podcast as a professional person. So I'm going to talk about being a Democrat or not really even a Democrat, just a liberal um, but yeah, log cabin gays are like Republican gays who are like uh, all about conservative like finances and and conservative policy. And it, most of the time they're white gays, <laughs> men usually, um, you know, and and it's just it's an interesting dynamic. I get so frustrated with the white male gay community because they are so blind sometimes to the experiences of other populations within the queer community, um, not mm -hmm. even just within like race community, but specifically like thinking about lesbians or the trans community, like 
they're just they're actively supporting politicians who are against <laughs> these members of our queer community so mm -hmm. it, it's just i totally get that and that it's like just because you're queer doesn't mean that you are really fighting for liberation or like really contributing to the the revelation or the revolution that is supporting our community as a whole mm -hmm. um, it's, mm -hmm. it's frustrating but you never heard of the log cabin gaze before <laughs> no that that is new to me today i, I was today was years old with, like <laughs> I think it has something to do with like Abraham Lincoln and like a log cabin. I don't know. Or I think he came out of California, you know. <laughs> yeah, we're we're gonna have to Google that in a yeah. bit because <laughs> that one that one is new to me. Um, I guess it's it, touching on conservatism because it, it. I don't know. I'm, I'm sort of thinking about like what, what is it about conservatism, right? And my mind sort of goes to religion, um, just because in my experience with other people in the black community who claim conservatism, um, a lot of their reasons are tied to religion. And, um, you know, for people who are listening who don't know, like I grew, grew up Christian, um, I am now sort of considering other means of my spiritual walk, but you know, there's there's something about religion and its holds on people that, regardless of the intersection of their other identities, right, the fallback is always sort of like, what does what's the good book or the good word tell me that I should believe or what I should do, even if it is contrary to what you know is going to be for the betterment of you and everybody in your community. Whew. Yeah, that's <laughs> real talk to the front, Kalia. <laughs> I mean, I think that, I mean, I, I also, I grew up in the Catholic church. Um, I was a Catholic youth minister for five years. So this is something that really sits on my heart a lot of ways, because I think there's, there's so much power in sort of religion and spirituality and meaning but that power can be used in such horrible and oppressive ways but it can, i mean there are spaces and places where religion and spirituality is bringing people together and lifting people up and amplifying justice in a lot of ways so i mm -hmm. won't say that all religion is bad but oh no, no. Um, but you know there there are like that was something i had to really struggle with and and actually learned a lot from in being a queer person and also being fairly conservative in the church when I was in high school and then moving into um, university, you know, I I never really even engaged with queer people until the university. I'd never met a gay person until I got to, to Xavier in Cincinnati, um, which is a Jesuit institution. Shout out to the Jesuits, they're amazing. Um, but, you know, I, I didn't know that it was possible to live sort of in both of those worlds and it was just sort of like this is a sin this thing that i'm hiding in me and i don't want to deal with it um, but the jesuits i think in a lot of ways speak to being able to ask questions in faith and being able to learn and grow and change and and that really opened up a door for me to say okay like this is not healthy <laughs> Mm -hmm. what what can I do what's different um and that you know was a big support for me as I 
as I came out, but then I also looked at the Catholic Church and I looked at the horrible patriarchy that's within it and the horrible abuse that has happened to so many people. And um, it, it, I don't know, that struggle really gave me the constant ability to like question the systems <laughs> that are yeah. there and to say, maybe this isn't the right place to be for me <laughs> um, and, and step out of it if I need to. Um, yeah. yeah. How have how have you sort of? I hear you mentioning, you know, your your exploration of other means, but like when it comes to your experience in the church, do you feel like there was any like in that struggle the things that you carry forward with you now that you're using actively? Yeah, I but be I believe so. Um... I guess I'm going to go back to sort of talking about my, my struggle with, with the church, right? It's like the, the first sort of church I grew up going to, um, was, you know, very traditional Southern Baptist, um, you know, the Bible was seen as a literal text, not a literary text, um, there was very sort of strict expectations for men, women, children, but sort of how my parents practiced their Christianity in our home was very much like we, I think, romanticized Black churches to be like from the civil rights era, you know, um, them using the church community for their own organizing in, um, in my hometown, Monroe, Georgia, um, and using religion as a tool to liberate my sister and I as young women to say, you know, God provides opportunities for you to do all of these other things besides marrying, having children and all of that. Like these opportunities are given to you. Um, like you use your gifts and talents to give back to your community, like all, you know, those lessons. So it's like, all right, so here, my parents are my example. They're Christians, but then I go to this church and sort of see Christianity talked about and practice in a very different way. So it was, it was very confusing yeah, <laughs> for me. Yeah. Um, and, you know, eventually my, my parents took us out of that church and put us into the church, um, where I met my now, uh, partner and father-in-law, mother-in-law, um, they were very much a church that was embedded in the community, um, that also believed in organizing, encouraging you to participate, to be like participate in their communities, like activism, philanthropy, all of those things. Um, because you are in your Christianity, you're called to be stewards of each other and stewards of the earth, right? It takes a lot more than just sort of sitting and studying the Bible. It's, it's all about action. Like what do these stories tell us about how we're supposed to live our lives? So that was sort of the first turning point for me in what, what, what's the, the function of church? What does being Christian mean? What does my spiritual walk mean? Like what's this relationship building with God? What is that supposed to look like? Um, but then every other experience after that, like I wasn't, I wasn't seeing that connection. Like I wasn't seeing um, sort of like church folk in the community organizing and sort of calling people to 
you know, be active around issues of justice and just sort of fell out with it. And honestly, it was an experience at a church in Chapel Hill that really, like, I ended up not going to church probably for two years after that. Mm -hmm. Um, But now, you know, I am reacquainted in... I guess multiple spiritual groups. Um, there's a fabulous church in Durham that is very much rooted in social activism, um, sort of pulled from a Black liberation theology um, that definitely speaks to my spirit. Um, I am also like deeply involved with a group of Muslimas, um, and you know, learning more about you know their spiritual walks in Islam doing my own reading about Islam. And so, yeah, like really pulling the, the stewardship out of both of those religions, I think it's what speak to me most right now. Yeah, it sounds like though, you're really attracted to sort of the community organizing side of it all. Where do you, where do you, mm-hmm. where do you get that drive? <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm not sure where where it comes from. It, some of that just might be sort of this natural occurring thing that happened as a result of, you know, the way that I was raised because I I watched my parents do it. Um, but I'm I'm I really just feel like I I'm about the people. Like I love my people. I am all about liberation. I want to see everybody be able to live at the intersection of all of their identities. Um, my blackness to be forward and normalized. And to do that in this country requires that we mobilize. <laughs> um, and so I don't know if it found me or I found it, but <laughs> you know, you're you're right. I'm sort of married to it in in many ways. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's it's almost like part of the process of coming into yourself and and finding those identities and learning to like say f you to the rest of the world (laughs) the world that's saying that this isn't valuable this isn't good but it's like you have to gather your support you have to mobilize your people so that you can um, create change and create spaces like I think that's one of the things that I've I've really learned from the drag queens that I've worked with and, and have done projects with. Shout out to the House of Cox in Durham, Stormy Day, Vivica C. Cox, Naomi Dix, all of them. Follow them on Instagram and Twitter. Um, but like the the idea of bringing people together and holding space and, and just like saying like, we got to do this shit together. Yes. <laughs> we can't all be out here trying to do this stuff and like on our own little journeys. Yes, that's true. Like your own individual journey is important, but like this, this is important for us all to be connected and sharing and, and loving on each other so that the, the shit that's out there that's coming our way isn't gonna bounce off of us so hard. Um, and we're able to withstand it as a community. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I don't know, I feel like it's almost like born out of struggle and, and oppression is mobilization. You can't, you can't not, <laughs> or else right. it gets you. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it requires strength and intentional care. Just like you said, it's like, it's not meant for one person to carry. Yeah. Right? Like we're, 
that's why the earth is populated you know that's that's what that's what the good book tells us like we are here for each other <laughs> yes. oh man the good book of kalia <laughs> yeah oh gosh who who would buy that <laughs> i would definitely buy that i buy three uh, copies and hand them out <laughs> <laughs> well that's mighty sweet of you to say the good but book yeah. of Dr. johnson Dr. Johnson. <laughs> yes, how to, how to 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 walk in your glory and be fierce. I don't know. <laughs> well, now we're talking about tiles. Look, and then how much do I charge? Let's let's figure this thing out. <laughs> we're we're gonna make this thing happen. Yes. But, um, yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's funny to sort of sit here and reminisce on childhood lessons right like you learn some pretty deep things early on um not really understanding them or knowing what to do with them but i mean clearly we're we're still sort of drawing from those lessons and how you know we build relationships as adults how we um show up in classrooms with our students you know how how do you see these lessons sort of impacting your practice as an occupational therapist Oh, I think, I think one of the things that I have learned so much from being queer is just like the importance of doing that work for yourself in a lot of ways. And I mean, what is therapy if not doing work for yourself? <laughs> um, and so I, I don't know, like being able to sit and, and having done the work to struggle with that identity and and set up boundaries of people who are toxic or who aren't really helping you to lift yourself into your own identity um i think that's that's something i've always had to to struggle with because i'm also like a carer and i want to help people but i also will twist and and contort myself into whatever i need to be to help that person um, mm -hmm. But in those moments where it's like, no, being queer and being constantly challenged to not be myself has has required me to think about myself a lot more and love on myself a lot more. So when I do work with older adults, um, whether they're queer or not, <laughs> probably a little bit more with the queer ones, but, um, you know, I, I want that to be a really important message that, you know, when we talk about aging and positive aging, it's like you are, everybody's aging. Um, that's part of your identity. That's part of who you are and what your body is doing. And, and that's an okay thing to experience. And like, you can do the work and, and I want to help you sort of have this space to love on yourself and to know how you can structure a life, an everyday routine that that amplifies your joy and your own pride in yourself. Um, but I also think it in therapy, it helps me like say directly <laughs> some of the things mm -hmm. that you hear it's like you don't just step around it and you try and like avoid it you just say like no you you need to love yourself and and those affirmations um now i'm not talking about like toxic positivity or whatever um but like real moments where you have that like some people are really afraid to say the positive to like love people and and i think that's something that i've always been really interested in doing and didn't always do for myself but now i have I don't have a filter when it comes to like 
I'm going to show you what I'm seeing in like in you and, and hope that that's helpful to you. And if it's not, let's keep talking. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What about I... you? How do you feel like some of these, these experiences have come into your practice? Well, I think in sort of in the most immediate way it shows up is representation, right? Um, just the, the fact that, you know, our, our Black students and, and our other students from minoritized backgrounds have a Black professor is, for some of them, um, an example of, of what it is that, that they can do. Um, you know, we've had students share with me that, you know, before coming to UNC, either they had never seen a Black OT or even had a Black professor for that matter. Um, so just being sort of that, that walking manifestation of what's possible. Um, but also um, sort of understanding systems of oppression have not just understanding but having experienced it i think gives me more of a critical lens towards what i do um, as somebody who works in intellectual and developmental disabilities um, i don't i don't approach it um, as somebody who believes that outcomes of you know people with disabilities of all kinds is a result of their ability status um, or if they are black and have IDD, you know, from the Latinx community and have IDD, that somehow the ways that they fare poorer across all life domains as a result of their racialized group membership and having IDD, right? It's like these disparities researchers are always putting the blame on disparities on one's race and disability. And I think sometimes not even sometimes, oftentimes we completely miss the, the language in that, right? And so sort of calling scholars to the carpet on that um, because I've experienced it, I understand it. Um, and where others may not be able to identify that first because it hasn't been their experience, right? It's like, what's that saying? Um, um life experience is the greatest teacher mm, yeah. yeah you know it's like when you when you can draw from experiences like it it reveals things i think in ways that just the the first read right or the first encounter doesn't always make visible mm. so so bringing that that to my work um and also understanding that i'm just not it's not about giving voice People have voices, you know, leverage your power to create space for them to use their voices, but not speak for them, even for folk who don't communicate in conventional ways. Yeah. 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 yeah I so. think that speaks to, I mean, that's sort of similar in the sense, like, you know, that's, that's been a journey of inter thinking about intersectionality um, in the queer community as well as just broadly, like, I think my experience of learning and feeling what it's like to live in a world that's heteronormative was like, hey, there's these systems that are out there that are oppressing people. 
Um, and then I got to experience one and it was like, oh, and then I started noticing the other ones that I might not even be experiencing, but my queerness sort of opened the door to those others um, mm -hmm. and sort of allowed us to see the, you know, like how these different institutions and, and processes are just eating up people <laughs> in right. a lot of ways. Um, but it's like sometimes it's unfortunate that it takes that life experience to teach people instead of just people being interested and always just blaming the people instead of the systems um, that mm -hmm. might be out there. But it's because they haven't lived it um, right. in, in a lot of ways. Right, right. Yeah. So boy, I tell you, we have really, I think, gone around the mountain <laughs> with this thing, <laughs> sort of drawing Don't on. tell it on the mountain. <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> sort of going from the valley to the mountaintop and drawing all the connections yes, from childhood La <laughs> from the valley to the mountaintop that's right <laughs> Listen, that's that's the title of your book yes from the valley <laughs> to the mountaintop <laughs> i love it yes yes so um i think we're about ready to wrap this thing up all right. Well, what are what are some final thoughts that you have that maybe can can wrap some of these ideas that we've talked about today into a little nice little package um, or little lessons that you want our listeners to to take with them as they go on a on a journey as in whatever journey they're on? <laughs> yeah. Um... I guess if I had to to tie all of this up neatly into one sentence, it's that our, our life experiences are just that experiences, you know, use it not as a as a point of deliberation in your life, but as a point to elevate your life. Ooh, nice. <laughs> Yes. That was like, I was expecting like an academic sentence that's like, you know, four run-ons and a semicolon. <laughs> <laughs> but you did that very nicely in one actually concise sentence. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and any, any parting words for you, Dr. LaValle? Um, I would say, you know, I think one of the things that we often forget is to, I don't believe that everything happens for a reason. I think that's a load of crap. Um, but I do think that everything can be used for us to learn and, and grow. Um, so I think figuring out how to do that is always a struggle, but um, it's an invitation that we all have. And it can be really a powerful process to go through. Um, and carry forward with you the pride in who you are um, and, and everything that that entails. So I'm going to give you an academic sentence, yeah. <laughs> a concise sentence, because that's my role, which we all know. Yes, yes. Well, awesome. Well, as always, it's nice chatting with you. And thank you all for listening in. All right. We'll see you all next time.